Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 44 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today not by John Paulson, who is running around Paris on vacation. Instead, we've called on a very good friend. You know him from NBC Sports and Roto World. It is Denny Carter. Denny, how is your offseason going? It's uh, it's it's going fantastic. I've been right on everything so far, hoping to keep that up. It's, it's, it's good to be back on the show. Thank you for having me. And yeah, I mean, what's with Paulson? You know, uh, uh, traveling, you know, in, in in Europe. This is this is we're building up to football season, man. Get back in the United States. Let's talk football, John. Come on. Speaking of calling out someone for traveling, though, <laughs> have, haven't you been gone uh, into a different country as well of late? I, I found myself in Canada. I don't know how, uh, but yeah, I, I I went to I went to Canada back in February or no March. It was March, still very cold. Uh, that's why I thought it was very and uh, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. This is before the fires. And by the way, uh, our air quality is code red. Uh, folks are t- uh, being told to stay stay indoors. Uh, everybody's freaking out. It looks like the apocalypse outside. So thank you. Shout out to Canada. Thank you. What was your best or most shocking discovery of Canada when you were there? Man, um, well, we were in French Canada, and I think the most French shocking Canada, thing yeah. is that there were there were like parts of Quebec where you can't communicate in English. Like, there's nobody who's speaking English. So you have to know some French. And uh, you know, look, the media won't tell you this, but I took French in college, and uh, I can understand it. I can't speak it, but uh, that 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 actually did help somehow in in Quebec. I take pride in jumping on Duolingo for like a few weeks and picking up a little bit of language anytime I travel out of the country. Yeah. Uh, but admittedly, when I went to France, the furthest I got because obviously then the the letters and the tillies like once they go left or right, then it becomes a completely different accent and word altogether. Right. So right. like admittedly, all I ate for an entire week was chicken baguettes because all I could say in this <laughs> terrible accent was poulet baguettes. It didn't get any farther than that in my French learning. So Man, I would I, I would say, despite the media not reporting it, you're still ahead of me in that department. John, I imagine that uh, with a Texas accent, it's going to be it's going to be tough action to get to get really French, to get down and dirty with French uh, language. It's a little tough. Uh, fortunately, though, Denny, you are not here for a, a French speaking class. <laughs> you are here and we are not being recorded because we are about to give our spiciest and worst fantasy takes. <laughs> the last thing we would ever want is for this to go on record and be recorded so all can hear for the rest of the offseason. So this is just between you and me, right? It's just a safe space. Yes. You, I, producer sound, the background. That's it. No one will hear this. We just wanted to hedge it out together before we keep on throughout June. So right. I'm excited. And I want to start with your first take that you will secretly tell me. Yeah, yeah. Let's just keep this here. Uh, make sure no one else hears this. Uh, Justin Herbert is going to break the single season touchdown record this year. Okay, and be, and be the QB one overall. This is this is my my take. What is your spin on that in terms yeah. of what Kellen Moore provides for the offense? So, okay. First of all, uh, Justin Herbert is due for some 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 regression this year in the touchdown uh, area. You know. 5.7% touchdown rate in his rookie year, 5.2% last or in 2021. And then last year it dropped to three, three and a half percent. So we're we're hoping for a bounce back that it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a, a huge bounce back. Many are saying it's going to take maybe up to eight, nine percent 
uh, in a pass-heavy, hopefully, Chargers offense. Uh, Kellen Moore has talked very openly and and, uh, and and quite frequently over the past month about uh, getting more downfield looks for Justin Herbert. And that's what, obviously, is very, it was very frustrating last year. You know, his, his adjusted yards attempt fell off the face of the earth. So we need we need more of that. I think Kellen Moore can deliver that that sort of uh, that th- those sort of downfield shots for for Herbert, and we're going to get our fifty six touchdowns. He has an extra game now. You have to remember, like when Peyton said it at fifty five, it was sixteen game season. He has an extra game. We're getting all the way to fifty six touchdowns this year for Justin Herbert. Also, remember whenever Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are on the field together, which was only 23% of Justin Herbert's dropbacks last year, Herbert led the league in completion rate, 77% on those dropbacks. That's a good stat. To, to your point, by the way, thanks to Sports Info Solutions for that. To your point, though, I still think it may be the same depth of target, like 25th and 36th, as you mentioned, the last two years. Because when he looked upfield, he saw Jalen Guyton. And again, he will drop back this year and see Jalen Guyton. And as we know, receivers control their ADOTs. It's not quarterbacks. It's not the other way around. At that same time, though, with Quentin Johnston, like everyone sees 6'3", 208 Johnston and thinks, okay, here's this another Mike Williams on the boundary to get upfield. But that's not who Johnston was at TCU at all. Um, Actually, he's just big Brandon Ayuk. He averaged 7.7 yards after the catch per reception. So I actually consider Herbert's ADOT, whether it increases this year or not, to be encouraging with more playmakers now underneath uh, rather than looking and seeing like Gerald Everett instead, for example. So yeah, I I agree with you. I think Herbert, he is ranked right now as my QB four and my best ball tiers on the site, but I do genuinely think he can be one of those guys who breaks into those top three quarterbacks surprisingly this season. Uh, Brother, he's going all the way to number one and 56 touchdowns. Let's just, just (laughs) pencil that in right now. All right. Well, my first thought just between you and I, is not as hot as that, but I want to start off slowly. Okay. I didn't want I didn't want to burn you to the ground immediately. <laughs> okay. So so I will just say I think Geno Smith breaks into the second tier of quarterbacks, basically becoming a top seven option and points per game. Because to get into that second tier, right, you have to finish among Justin Herbert, this year's league leader in touchdown passes, Justin Fields, Joe Burrow, and Lamar Jackson. I think Geno Smith can get there. As we know, last year, a career high as the QB 11 in fantasy points per game. But remember, over the second half of the season when the offensive line was falling apart and their players were getting injured, that's when Geno also, the gas had just run out. Uh, Seven interceptions, four fumbles in that time. And the play in the offense as a whole just dropped dramatically. So if we can now sustain what he did in the first half of the year as genuinely a first-half MVP candidate, not to mention that we're also canceling Noah Fant this season and replacing him with Jackson Smith and Jigba, who averaged four freaking yards per route run across from Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, two very good players in themselves in college. Uh, I think Geno Smith, the sky's the limit this year. So that Seattle offense and Geno in particular are just players I keep coming back to all the time in drafts right now. Yeah, I, I think that the uh, the discourse around the Seattle offense is everybody gnashing their teeth about like, oh, who do I take? Do I take Metcalf, Lockett, uh, JSN. Like, who's gonna who's gonna be sacrificed to the uh, to the target share mm-hmm. gods this year? The air yards gods this year. And and really, the focus might be, like you just said, on the fact that Geno Smith now has an, another awesome weapon to go along with two amazing receivers, uh, and that's that probably makes him 
uh, severely underdrafted. My, my, I guess my one, I know, you know, hot takes are hot takes, but my one hesitation here is that Gino will regress back to Gino, uh, you know, that, that we know and love. Uh, and the Seahawks may be on to that. I, I feel like, you know, the second half of the season, they were a little more cautious with how they were using him. But uh, but I'm into it. I Hey, look, I have a lot of Geno and best ball, so I hope you're right. And after leading the league in both completion rate and next-gen stats, completion rate over expectation, those are two stats that tend to regress annually. Uh, at the same time, though, just that extra boost in, in what I expect to be an increase in three wide sets, I still want all the Geno Smith and Seahawks players. What is your take on how to handle their three wide receivers, by the way? Because we've seen right now, Metcalf is going as a top 30 player. Jackson Smith and Jigba is going a full round ahead of Tyler Lockett. That seem, that doesn't seem right to me. Uh, I, I I tend to, you know, adjust it for price point. I, I lean Lockett there pretty comfortably. Oh, yeah. Um, I just, I just don't, I just don't know. Uh, it feels like JSN's being drafted, sort of near his ceiling. I mean, you know, injuries to to one or or the other of Lockett or Metcalf could completely make me look silly in the end. But uh, I, I tend to lean Lockett over JSN. I'm still getting a handful of DK Metcalf, even though I definitely don't mind fading him in that territory. But just the fact that last year, a career low in touchdowns, despite having a career high in targets per game, and led the league with 22 end zone targets, which was four more than the next closest player. So someone you don't want to fade, given that red zone opportunity. But at the same time, the cost is admittedly very high right now. Yes, it what is. about your second spicy take that no one will hear? Yeah, yeah. Uh... I guess I guess I started off with a with a pretty hot one. You came uh, out the gates a little bit hot. You shocked me, <laughs> admittedly. I, I needed to run this by my interns to, to see what was what was the coldest of the hot takes. Uh, all right. Well, look, I don't have this in any order, so I'm just going to go with what I have next. Um, I, I take no pleasure in saying this, but uh, when you sigh before you make a statement, it also makes me really worried. Yeah. Uh, Tony Pollard will not be uh, an RB1 this year. Oh, okay. So let's couple this because what I was secretly going to tell you is that I think Tony Pollard could be a top three running back. <laughs> so let, let's go ahead and have this discussion yeah. on where Pollard is being drafted. I would love to hear your thoughts. Look, I And this has nothing to do with him. Look, I, I, I love Tony Pollard. Everyone knows this. And Tony, if you're watching, I, I believe in you. I hope you, you do well. Uh, and also that you recover from that horrific leg injury that you suffered last year. Uh, I don't trust Mike McCarthy. Uh, and, and I, I hearing Mike McCarthy criticize Kellen Moore for, I, this, you know, and I'm not exaggerating. Like this is, this is not me like trying to do a bit or a joke. He criti criticized Kellen Moore for trying to score too many points last year. He said, we, we that, uh, he said, I get it. You know, Kellen Moore is a young guy. When I was a young guy, I used to like to score points too. But I know that's not how you win in this league. How you win in this league, you score fewer points and you rest the defense. Okay. Now, this is, these, these are, these should be like, like uh, a five alarm fire for fantasy managers. Like, this is terrible. If, if this guy's going to be calling plays, no, I don't. I'm I'm terrified to draft anyone in the Dallas offense at this point because he sees the offense as a means of I don't know resting the defense and that's it. Uh, I I uh, I so there's that and also also 
there's no way I'm telling you right now, there's no way that the Cowboys head into the season without adding a big, fat, slow, aged running back. Who's going to see 12, 12 to 15 carries a game. I'm sorry. It's just going to happen. Put Leonard Fournette in that offense and he's seeing 12 touches a game. Okay. Put, put, get, bring back Ezekiel Elliott. You know, we, he can, he can do a, 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 a goodbye year for, for, for the Cowboys. And, uh, and, and Pollard will be, I think will pay the price for, for that sort of usage. Uh, I don't think that McCarthy sees Pollard as an every down back. I, I think he'll be efficient, but the opportunity will just not be there. So from a micro standpoint, at least right now, and as you said, they could sign someone, but right now there is no one else. Like my counterpoint, the easy way to say it would be Ronald Jones and Malik Davis are behind Tony Pollard. That's the simplest way to put it. Uh, Pollard also, his touches per game have increased alongside Ezekiel Elliott in every season, up to 13.7 in their games together last year. We've also now seen very small sample, but three starts for Tony Pollard in his career without Zeke. He finished as the RB1, RB3, and RB7 in those games. They mentioned whenever they asked Mike McCarthy about the players behind Pollard going into the year, McCarthy said Ronald Jones is the one to look out for, which immediately tells me I need to draft more Tony Pollard. Yeah. So that's where that's the stance I keep coming back from. But I also understand even at the beginning of the second round. So the capital you have to use right now to get him isn't even high considering if he gets through July without this big fat back you speak of being signed <laughs> behind him, then suddenly Pollard should be an immediate first round selection. So I still take that chance anyways. And also it's a lot of fun, honestly, in the back of the first round because you can go so many directions understanding Pollard can be your catalyst in the second. You can go anchor running back and start CD Lamb Pollard if you want that RB1 later on. You can go Amon Ross St. Brown and Pollard if you want that Week 17 indoor stack for best ball tournaments. And so right now, I just think he, he makes it a lot of things fit in the back of the first round, which, as we know, is not as sexy as a top six pick this year. Yeah, no, I and look, I, I I guess it's not a super hot take because I'm not saying that Pollard will be like catastrophic for your team, but I am saying that he's not going to meet or exceed his ADP because of the usage and be just because of the general like I just don't see Mike McCarthy being able to manage this offense correctly. He's so bad. We should be fearful. I I I feel like and and no one no one seems to be fearful of Mike McCarthy and. As we all continue to learn more things annually and just make sure we don't make the same mistakes over and over again, I do think back, I was not high on Chase Edmonds last year, uh, but a lot of people were, and the argument I used against him was that he had never fit in that bucket. Like, no coaching staff had entrusted him to be an every down back. So why suddenly would he become that on a new team? And so I want to make sure, step back and make sure I'm not doing that with Pollard either, because whether it was him as a receiver at Memphis or his usage with the Cowboys through his first four years in the league, he's never been in every touch running back. So maybe that's a suggestion that I am trying to squeeze him into this bucket that just doesn't exist in his career. Yeah, I I, I do think that we have some evidence for how the Cowboys view Tony Pollard. And uh, it's not the way they viewed Ezekiel Elliott as a guy who can just be like launched headlong into the middle of the offensive line. 15 times a game and maybe that's good you know i'm i'm, I'm going to talk circles around myself until i come come out with pollard as the rb1 overall but uh <laughs> you know 
but I, I, I just, I have a lot of hesitation about his role and uh, Mike McCarthy in general. All right. Well, since you came out the gates a little hot, uh, I guess I'll get a bit spicier between us and say that, Denny, I really think Sky Moore is going to be inactive on game days. Right now, what we're hearing out of Chiefs OTAs are that they are absolutely trying out new returners, both in the kick return and punt return game. And that starts with their rookie they drafted on day three, running back Daenerik Prince. But there are so many other options. Richie James, who was the Giants punt returner in the playoffs and could earn targets included. And so what that makes me believe is that Sky Moore, currently with a 124 ADP, the second Chiefs wide receiver off the board behind Kadarius Toney, if Sky Moore doesn't return punts, which he was bad at doing last year, then what does he do on this roster? Like, why is he active on this roster if everyone else does everything else? So uh, I'm very worried that Sky Moore is just going to be inactive all year. Yeah, I, I can picture Andy Reid sitting across the table from Sky Moore saying, what is it exactly that you do around here? Because I can't figure it out. I'm sure I butchered that office space scene, but still, you guys get it. The, the millennials get it. Look, a Sky, Sky Moore is a Zoomer psyop, okay? It, it uh, hatched by the United States government to freak me out about a guy, you know, a, a, a young kid out of a no-name school who, um, you know, wooed the analytics crowd last year, okay? Like, like I, I felt the biggest sense of FOMO last year not drafting Sky Moore anywhere because all my friends were in on Sky Moore, all this, all the 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 cool kids, all the smart kids were like, oh, "I'm getting Sky Moore. He's the wide receiver one in in Kansas City." So I'm happy to hear this. I'm happy to hear that 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 you're. Uh, I guess it sounds like you're on board, and and I I wouldn't be shocked if he were inactive for a large portion of this season. How do you think the Chiefs' wide receivers pan out? How are you attacking them in drafts right now? I'm not paying. I'm not paying the price for Kadarius Tony. Look, I love Kadarius Tony. Okay, I think if he could play, I don't know, 13 full games, full games, not not just start the game and then hurt your ankle after two two snaps. 13 full games, he's a wide receiver one. You can't you can't bank on that. And Patrick Mahomes, you know, Patrick Mahomes came out last year, last summer and he said um we don't really care which receiver sees targets here. Like with like they, they are all rotational. Like we see them as interchangeable. And I think the fantasy community generally took that and said, ah, no, no, it's going to be Juju. It's going to be. And then when Tony came to Kansas city, okay, it's going to be Tony. And it's not, it's never anyone. It's never anyone. So I, I, I will throw some darts at the guys going later in drafts, maybe rice, I guess, uh, maybe, uh, not not MVS. God, I can't I can't do MVS again. Um, you know, but uh, but I but no, I I'm I'm not going to pay a premium uh, for for Kadarius Tony, thinking that oh, like he's he's going to be the one. He's not. He's not. Tony, of course, still living off that week four through six stretch as a rookie, where all he did was burn the Cowboys to the ground and they got injured on the opening possession against the Rams in week six, but it's still yep. being touted because of that to this day, despite <laughs> last year, remember Sky Moore was injured. Justin Watson was injured at times. Juju was injured and Tony still never led the chiefs and route rate in any point in any week. Uh, I do. I do think that it's, it's, con it's concerning that Kadarius Tony cannot get onto the field, even in the Super Bowl, where he caught a touchdown, right? 
He did catch a touchdown and, like Kadarius Tony or like Sky Moore. He had one catch and it went for a touchdown. Yes. And, and on, on eight snaps, I believe. I think he, I think it had eight snaps after so, being touted all week as the team's like weapon they are going to use. Yes. I know. I know. God, I fell for it so hard. I wanted to believe like Fox Mulder. I wanted to believe. All right. Your third yeah. hot take. My third hot take is that uh, Anthony Richardson is going to be a top three quarterback, fantasy quarterback. Okay. And I, is that is that hot? I think it's very hot because okay. that, that assumes, which is the practice we're sharing with one another. And again, thankfully, yeah. no one will hear that. Otherwise, oh, thank God. Thank God. they might rise up in the masses. Yeah. But that assumes he hits his passing ceiling. Since we know his floor is safe for the rushing, it's just the ceiling we have to question in his first year. So – I, I think with someone like Richardson, you either have to rank him really high or really low. There's no point in saying, oh, I'm ranking Anthony Richardson as the QB 15 this year. Because if he plays 17 games, the rushing alone is going to make him a QB one. OK, if he if he gets anything at all through the air, which I, I think he's capable of. Then, then we're talking. We're talking possible elite production. It's the same thing, honestly, with Trey Lance going into last season, where you you really, really, if you were being honest with yourself, if you thought Trey Lance was going to hold that starting job throughout the entire season in San Francisco, in that quarterback friendly offense with that rushing, you had to rank him as a top five guy, and if not, you needed to rank him as QB thirty. You know, like, like there's just, there's just no in between with the, with these hyper uh, athletic mobile guys. So I, I, I say, I say Richardson hits his, uh, hits his ceiling in an offense, by the way, that will be coached by a guy who knows a little, a little something about how Jalen Hurts has succeeded as a, uh, as a quarterback in the NFL. So I, I I like Richardson. Uh, I know that's hot, but that's what we're here for understanding that you have to be all in or out, how are you treating his 93 ADP on underdog right now? Because in the first portion of May, I was finding it hard to get him since he was getting steamed, like really much earlier than ADP. But now it's somewhat settled back. And I actually find it easier now to get him around that seventh, eighth round. Uh, And so I have been taking more and more of him. But what are your thoughts on that ADP? So I, I think it's fair. I mean, I, I don't think I, I feel like you're not you're not stealing him there, but I, I I I do I do like getting him, and I like I like stacking him. Can I can I just just between you and me? I like stacking him with Alec Pierce because definitely Anthony keep Richardson, that between us. Yes. Yeah. Listen, Alec Pierce is a great deep ball uh, uh, pass catcher, and uh, Anthony Richardson does one thing well as a passer. He throws it deep, baby. He throws it downfield really well and really far. So I'm hoping for some better and best ball type stuff from uh, from, from Alec Pierce and, and Richardson. Rich Rebar from Sharp Football had that stat out there that Michael Pittman led the league in curl routes last year. Frank Reich had no idea how to use Michael Pittman at all. My only concern is that even if his route tree changes under Shane Steichen, like Michael Pittman seems like the one who gets lost here. Like at least Jelani Woods offers extreme athleticism as a last round pick. You can sneakily stack with Richardson, but Pittman's still going around 50, 55 ADP as a premier like tier two wide receiver. And it seems really expensive given that he has to have the volume in this offense from Richardson. Otherwise he just falls by the wayside. I agree. Oh, thank God. I'm it's so concerned. glad. Because, 
My Roto World colleagues were not thrilled about my ranking of Michael Pittman. Okay? Let's we, hear we this have, ranking secretly. We have we have our magazine coming out. We have our draft magazine coming out in a, a convenience store near you uh, uh, next month. And uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I think I ranked Pittman as the wide receiver 45. Hell yeah. And I, I, cause I just don't, this is, this is, this is a horrible position for Michael Pittman uh, with a, with what will be likely be a very run heavy Colts offense and a guy who doesn't win deep, who doesn't even run deep routes, whose yards per route run is not all that impressive. Like, I just don't, I don't know what Michael Pittman has going for him this year. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm completely fading him at ADP. Since we're here, also, what do you think about Jonathan Taylor? I have him ranked as my RB9. I have them at the bottom of tier two, just ahead of Josh Jacobs, Brees Hall, Najee Harris, that mix of running backs that usually go in the third round. But as the great JJ Zacharyson has harped on, I'm certainly concerned about pass catching opportunity from a rushing quarterback for Taylor and Richardson. It's a, it's an issue. It really is. Uh, I, I, I know the the tendency will be to say, well, Jonathan Taylor's a freak and I'm not going to doubt him. And, you know, I guess there's some validity to that because he is like he's he, Jonathan Taylor's insanely good as a runner, not taking that away. You know who else is insanely good as a runner? Nick Chubb. OK, and Nick Chubb never catches any passes either. So, uh, you know, in PPR formats, I'm not interested. I'm not not into it. Sorry, uh, unless he falls. But anyway, yeah, that that's a that's a major issue like. These these mobile quarterbacks, when it's I don't know third and seven, and the running back is open underneath, and they can either dump it off to the running back and hope that he breaks two tackles and gets the first down, or or take five steps past the line of scrimmage and and get the first down easily and glide out of bounds. They're 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 doing the latter every single time. So yeah, I think that that is an issue. And also also look at Shane Steichen takes a, a page out of the Eagles goal line package playbook. Anthony Richardson's going to score a lot of touchdowns and Jonathan Taylor's not. Okay. I have one more for you and then I will give you the runway and we'll discuss your final grouping. But my last one, Denny is that I don't think Christian Watson is a top 24 wide receiver in fantasy this year. And right now he's going as a median or high end wide receiver too. Everyone likes to point out that from week 10 on, once he was removed from injuries, that's when his season began since that's when he had seven touchdowns. But also, <laughs> mind you, those uh, seven touchdowns occurred in a stretch of 15 catches. Let's start there. Not only that, but from week 10 on, no one likes to cite the fact that Alan Lazard out-targeted Christian Watson. I know. Alan, Alan Lazard averaged 6.7 targets per game to Watson's 4.7, two more per game from week 10 on. And on top of that, although this is fine for best ball, like, right, that's the kind of player, a ceiling spike week player like Watson, we want to chase, no big deal. But, dude, Watson averaged 22.9 fantasy points when he scored a touchdown. When he did not, he averaged 7.5 points from week 10 on. Basically, a nobody. A wide receiver 50 and on if he didn't have one of those massive, long scores. And so I'm just worried if he does not reach the end zone, he just offers nothing in fantasy. It is it is funny that, uh, like you said, uh, the, the Watson apologist, and I am among them, 
will say, look, man, his season didn't start until November. You can't, you can't t- look at the other stuff. You look at when he did well, that's when it started. Uh, so yeah, I, I do, I do hear you there. And I've done, I've done some, some, uh, some grinding about, you know, uh, the Packers, uh, pass catchers last year and boy, do I get upset when I see Alan Lazard leading every category across the board all the time? It is quite upsetting. I, I will say that maybe that has to do with Aaron Rodgers just just loving to throw to his guys. No, no, you know, Christian Watson's not his guy. Alan Lazard, he look at Rodgers only loves bad receivers, okay? And and so uh, th- therefore Lazard gets all the targets. Anyway, I'm hoping that that changes with Jordan Love. And you know, Dago, you're acting like you didn't see. Uh, uh, Watson connect with Jordan Love last year in the second half of that blowout against the Eagles. Two drives. Well, yeah, you're right. Well, I forgot about that. You, you, what? Uh, my suggestion to you: watch a damn game. Watch one game, and you'll and you'll understand where we're coming from. <laughs> Speaking of, since we know Jordan Love went six of nine on those two drives and looked like a Hall of Famer, uh, where do you stand on Jordan Love right now as a low end QB two? I'm I. I... I'm bullish. I, I could be, I could be really horribly wrong here, but I, I, I do. I trust, I trust LaFleur. I think that the, Jordan Love has gotten a bad rap. He's been put in an, an impossible position. Whoever, listen, whoever was drafted to replace Aaron Rodgers was going to be put in a horrendous situation. Okay. Like Aaron Rodgers was never, ever just like Favre did to him. Okay. It's, it's passing pain down the line of, of Packers quarterbacks. Jordan Love, if Jordan Love ter- turns out to be a great one, he's going to do that to somebody else. I guarantee it. Anyway, uh, I think he's gotten a bad rap. I think he has potential. I, I am drafting him uh, everywhere. And, of course, Packers-Vikings indoors in Week 17 for the Best Ball Championship. So something- I, have it, I have it tattooed on my, on my lower back. Just the indoor games or all week 17? <laughs> just, just indoor. I don't, I, don't, I, don't have any, I don't have any interest in outdoor football. Boom. Beautiful. Uh, okay. Your next spicy take. Puka Nakua yeah. is, is going to be a top 24 fantasy receiver. Hell yes. <laughs> yeah, look. Uh, <laughs> that's It's warm. There, there's something. Can you hear that? I can't okay. hear that. What All right. was that? Okay. I think I don't know. Sal, Sal just uh, just just launched uh, an audio file at us. Listen, Nakua was second in in yards per route run among all college receivers last year. I, and I'm not. I, I'm not. Listen, this is not cherry picking. I'm not saying from week one to week four or from week eight to week twelve. He was no second across the season. Okay, Puka Nakua is good. I know that there are some red flags about his pro- draft profile. Therefore, he went late in the draft. But Sean McVay has said great things about Nakua. Cooper Cup just yesterday said Nakua is is grasping the offense at a rate that he's that that has surprised him and has has uh, pleased him. And uh, and look at this team. This team has nobody behind Cooper Cup. Nobody. And I think I think that Nakua could step in and kind of take. Remember? Do you are you old enough to remember Robert Woods when he played for the Rams? vaguely i know right. he had a few highlights in his career my my grandfather told me about robert woods playing for the rams and robert woods used to be better in fantasy uh than cooper cup i'm not saying that Cooper's going to do that what i am saying is that there's a big opportunity for someone 
with a with a pretty good profile to step in and take on that wide receiver two role for the Rams. And I like Nakua to do it. I actually have Nakua high in my underdog rankings because I want him to always pop in the 18th round whenever people get reached that point, whether it be as a another stacking option with Matthew Stafford or just a standalone option. Either way, though, every coach mentions Debo Samuel whenever they throw a wide receiver into the running back role and says, this guy can just be Debo Samuel. It's not that easy. Having said that, since Sean McVay took over for the Rams in 2019, Debo has averaged 11 yards per touch against him. If anyone is pissed off and just trying to find his own Debo, <laughs> it's absolutely Sean McVay. And as we know, as you said, Nakua's has had 350 rushing yards and five rushing touchdowns the last two seasons in college. He actually is someone that has been used around the formation and the reports out of OTAs are that he's being used everywhere on the field. So not only is there that wide open opportunity, he does have experience running the ball as well as catching it. So if someone yeah. can emerge, I actually do, oddly enough, think it's Nakua. All right. I'm, hey, I'm glad to have you on the on the Puka team. We're going to wear our Puka shells. We're going to be all in uh, this year. And I have some Puka shells from the 90s, folks, and I will wear them if he, if he actually ends up being a wide receiver too. I actually believe you, and I'm not shocked whatsoever. <laughs> Any more, Denny, on your list? Um... Oh yeah, I had I had one uh, here. Okay, Jacoby Brissett. Oh no, takes takes over Washington's starting role easily. Okay, because Sam Howell is 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 uh, not good, and uh, Sam Howell's the 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 dustiest twenty two year old in, in league history, and Jacoby Brissett, who was very good in Cleveland last year, who is a veteran, and Ron Rivera loves his veterans, folks. Brissett is going to step into the Patrick Mahomes role in Eric Bieniemy's offense and be a top ten quarterback in fantasy. That's what I think. That's what top I, you know, ten, top ten, top ten, not even top twelve, top ten. Pencil it in. Okay, let's dissect this one. <laughs> Take a second. There's a lot here. Do you think Brissett wins the job from week one? Let's start there. Um. Yes. Yes, I do. I think that that how I think both of them will get a lot of playing time in the preseason. I think how will sufficiently freak out the the washington uh coaching staff and they'll say look we got to go we got to go with the old vet and then how do you think the fallout is between terry mclaurin and jahan dotson i th i think i think Brissett is great is potentially very very good for for both of those guys i think sam howell is a low-key disaster for mclaurin and and uh Dotson and everybody else in 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 that offense. Um, also, Hal has has uh, you know the rushing prowess a little bit. He showed in college that takes away pass attempts. Jacoby Brissett, Jacoby Brissett is the most stone footed quarterback in the in the league right now. So he's going to be throwing every single time he drops back. I have a sneaking suspicion this Commanders offense could be a little more pass heavy than we're used to, which would be great for McLaurin. So I, yeah, so my, I guess, I guess really I'm projecting. I want McLaurin to finally have a, a, a good quarterback. And I think Jacoby Brissett is it. My 
only concern is that one, at least Sam Howell, as you mentioned, did show some sneaky rushing upside, very small sample, his lone start last year around backups with Washington, but 535 and one touchdown on the ground with 8.8 yards per attempt. And of course, under Eric Bieniemy, we just want to get the quarterback correct, given that they do quietly have a lot of good weapons in Washington. And so whomever's going to start is the player we want to target. And yes, for Brissett, I just keep coming back to, even though I like Sam Howe, it seems much more than you. Uh, I keep coming back to the fact that team gave Brissett eight and a half million. That's not backup money. That is a scary amount for a player uh, who is likely just going to come in and compete for the job from training camp on. And so that money to me looms larger than anything else in that offense. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Also, I don't believe these commanders beat writers who are, who are saying, Oh, people within the organization say they're all in on how, Look, they're going to be all in on Hal until he throws three interceptions in preseason week two. Like, like that, that, and then they're all out. Trust me, they're, 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 nobody, nobody's all in on a what was he fifth round pick? Come on, come on, give me a break. And and uh, and I'm telling you, Ron Rivera will not be able to stomach playing playing the young guy. Um, I I think the Commanders' offense could be fun, could be vastly underrated for fantasy. Give me Brissett. Speaking of the preseason, I don't want to ruin your summer already, but the moment I heard that rosters got expanded to 90 men and only one cut down day, the final day of the of this training camp, uh, I felt for you and Pat immediately. Yeah. My heart literally hurts for y'all. Right. We we are uh, uh, girding ourselves. We are undergoing counseling in preparation for that day. Uh, and, uh, hopefully we will make it, but if we don't, I want you to know that it was, it was great working with you and also talking to you today and keeping these hot takes between each other. I assure you these takes will never leave this room. Luckily we're now finished. We got everything up our chest with each other. We can go back on Twitter and just have a great time since that's a healthy place to be. Oh, Denny, yeah. <laughs> tell everyone where they can find your work. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, on Twitter at cdcarter13 if you dare, and uh, can't I can't stop tweeting about Bryson DeChambeau. And you can find my work uh, at Roto World, um, and uh, I am on the Roto World Football Show, which you can find anywhere podcasts are sold or downloaded or whatever the kids are doing. We will be back next week with another guest as Paulson continues learning French. Until then, you know what to do. Be a little bit kind of the what's important. We'll see you next time.